Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And folks, today we have a few things lined up. We're going to be delving into the psalm that is the lectionary psalm for this morning, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 105. One of those verses that if ever you went to Sunday school or Sunshine Corner is no doubt one of the first scriptures that you went and learnt after John 3 and 16. Also today joining us is Pastor Dominic from Cherith Athlone Baptist Church who will be sharing his next part on the Disciples' Prayer as he continues to work his way through what we know as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. He is the one who's calling it the Disciples' Prayer stating that the Lord's Prayer is actually found in John 17. Also though we are listening to the testimony and teaching stroke talk given by a man called Ken Simington. Now Ken at this point has gone to be with the Lord but June who lives up in Longford got in touch with me told me I needed to listen to this clip and that I would be greatly blessed by doing so and indeed I was greatly blessed by doing so and that is why I'm bringing it to you. Ken is sharing his testimony of how he grew up in Christian circles, how he was immersed in the life of the church and yes did not know God. Maybe you're someone who goes regularly to church. Maybe you're someone who's very involved in church activities. Maybe you're someone who's grown up in what you perceive to have been a Christian home. But the question is, do you know God? Now, before you take offense with me, please hold tight and listen to Ken's story and then draw your own conclusions from it. So there are the things that are going to be taking place this morning as we go and spend this hour together in Heartlands. And my prayer is that you are well. My prayer is that you will be encouraged. My prayer is that you will be edified and uplifted in this hour. My prayer is that you will be blessed. And thus, as a result, be a blessing to those around about you. So, with no further ado, let us listen to the words of Psalm 119, beginning at verse 105. We're reading from Psalms 119, verse 105 to 112. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Today's verse comes from Psalms 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know when something really gets us surprised, anxious or nervous or fearful? We get people even saying, hey, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Even before we even pray for ourselves, even before we even sit down and open up the Bible, the word of God. Don't you know that God knew that this curveball was coming? Pray, stop, meditate, spend time with God. Ask God to open up the word for you that he may encourage your spirit directly 
as your priest to give your heart comfort, to reassure you that he is always going to be your refuge in time of need. Don't just tell people about what's going. Don't just have people pray for you. And don't just pray, pray, but pray while you prayerfully read the word of God. And that lamp to your feet will light amongst your footsteps, those stepping stones that he wants you to take. We can make plans, but he will direct your steps. And there is nothing that can bring light into your darkness of situation of fear or anxiety, whatever that discouragement may look like, even loss. The word of God will always be a lamp unto your feet. Midlands 183. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And now we're going to have the first part of Ken Singminton's talk and testimony, sharing about the Lordship of Jesus Christ and how the Lordship of Jesus Christ impacted his Christian life. Good morning, loved ones, or beloved, as the Bible would say. Beloved means beloved. Anyway, this is a subject that I'm very passionate about this morning as you'll probably gather, and I've entitled it The One Word That Changed My Life. But it's also the one word that I think can stop the moral decay, the worldliness and lukewarmness that's so prevalent, sadly, in the church today. And it's also a word that I wish was emphasized more in evangelism. And that word, the word is Lord. The term Jesus is Lord is a well-known and much-used phrase in Christian circles, but truth be told, in today's culture, it makes little impact on our Christianity. The word Lord usually means someone who, after a long and successful career in public service, the arts, business, culture, has been invited to sit on the House of Lords to bring wise counsel. And for us, it can conjure up pictures of elderly dignitaries making long speeches to partly-filled chambers, some who are awake, some perhaps not just so awake. The exclamation, good Lord, has just become part, almost a meaningless, like a swear word, part of our, of our culture. There are two Greek words used for Lord in the New Testament. The most common one is curious, meaning he to whom a person belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master, Lord, the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner. One who uh, has control of the person, the master, the sovereign, prince, chief, the Roman emperor is a title of honor, expressive respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. And this title is given to God, the Messiah. The second word is despotas, which is where the origin of the word despot comes from. The word signifies owner, master, one who has absolute dominion, supreme authority and unlimited power arising from ownership. Despotes includes total submission on our part to God's will, not out of slavish fear or bondage, but joyfully and willingly. So Jesus' title is not only Lord, but Lord of Lords, not only King, but King of Kings. And it could easily be adapted in another culture to Caesar of Caesar, Pharaoh of Pharaohs, Emperor of Emperors. I became a Christian in August 1989, age 42, I had been raised in, a, in a, a very godly Christian home and I was taught to say my prayers every night and I said my prayers every night 
from the age of three, and I still remember my childhood prayer. I said it so many thousands of times. My Father, for another night, for quiet sleep and rest, for all the joy of morning light, thy holy name be blessed. So I was raised with Christianity right from I was born. I was sent to and quite liked Sunday school. I went to church most Sundays with my parents. And even though I stopped going to church in my teens, only returning in my 30s, I still prayed every night. I always believed in Jesus. I understood the work of the cross. When attending church, I suppose religiously every Sunday in my 30s, I, I tithed. I took communion, hosted a cell group in our home every fortnight. And despite having secret sin, I usually prayed in those days for an up to an hour on my knees every night. Yet as I look back on those days, I realize with clarity that I was not a Christian. I was certainly a staunch supporter of Christianity, a, a friend of God, but not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus Christ. Some may choose to disagree, but I know the difference before and after the morning of August the 11th, 1989. Before that date, you see, I was the Lord of my life. As Billy Graham says, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I went up to the front and I got down on my knees and my simple heartfelt prayer to Jesus was this, Lord Jesus, I've been doing things my way for 42 years. If you can do anything with the rest of my life, it's yours, lock, stock, and barrel. In other words, everything that I know about me now utterly belongs to you. And within a few hours, everything changed. My heart was filled to the overflowing by the love of Jesus, which began to outpour to others. The Bible became alive in my hands. My desire to serve Jesus all the days of my life burnt deeply within me. The miracle of the new birth, the radical new birth. In the early weeks after my conversion, it seemed every time I opened the Bible, I was confronted with the doctrinal reality of the Lordship of Jesus, which in all the years I'd been going to church had never once that I can recall been emphasized to me. It tasted sweet to my spirit because the experiential reality had just changed my life. And it also seemed that in every conversation, I ended up talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. However, as week after week went by, and I continued to be confronted with the truth about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I began to think I was becoming obsessive. Since when I woke up in the morning, it was there. My conversation, it was there. And one Sunday afternoon, as I sat in our back garden, again trying to enjoy the sun, but saturated with lordship thoughts, I cried out to Jesus, please free me from this obsession. That evening, Linda and I set out to attend our church, which was about two and a half miles away along a ring road, which meant passing straight through three roundabouts. As I went to drive through the second roundabout, Instead of going straight, I found my car turning right. And Linda said, where are you going? And it was a good question because I didn't know. And I thought, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. And I drove around the roundabout again to go on straight. But this time it was almost as if my car turned itself around again. And this happened for a third time. And I suddenly realized that for whatever reason, God wanted me to go down that road. And here there was a brand new church had just opened that night, just as you went down that road. And I said, Linda, it's obvious that the Lord wants us to go to this church tonight. So nervously we went in and shaking your hands, welcome, sir. And we walked in and there in huge letters along the back was Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> no escape. But with that final sign off, this season of obsessiveness came to an end. The job was done. This foundational truth was now deeply embedded within me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. See, in Genesis, we read of God giving mankind freedom, except for one thing. God would tell them what was good and what was evil. That was a tree they were 
not to eat of. We know what happened and what is still happening. With a little prompting from the evil one, Adam chose to decide what was good and what was evil. He would determine for himself. He would be his own God. He would determine for himself what was right and what was wrong. God's rule was out and man's self-rule was in. The rest is horrible history. When you come to the cross of Christ in repentance for your rebellion against God, you are in effect surrendering the self-rule over your life. You step down as Lord of your life and instead you enthrone him as Lord. How often do we sing that? You see, when Paul was telling in Romans how to be saved, he said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But of course, if the word Lord's meaningless, it becomes meaningless. But when it was written, it was not meaningless. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And remarkably, instead of a prisoner of war camp for surrendering rebels, there's a banqueting table spread out and a banner over it saying, love, your home, like the prodigal, your home. Willingly, joyfully, and humbly returning to your rightful place under the rule of God through Jesus Christ. God's will becomes your will. Remember these well-known lines from the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where we have been listening to Ken Symington telling his story about how the Lordship of Jesus Christ really has impacted his life, even to the point where he would go and question whether... Although brought up in Christian circles, although part of church life, if he were even a Christian or not. In fact, he would go so far as to say he wasn't a Christian until that experience. And so now he continues this story, expounding to us and telling us and teaching us also about the effect of Jesus Christ being Lord of our lives and of his life. So the question is this, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. As you listen to Ken, what thoughts do you come to? Then we'll also later on be joined by Pastor Dominic sharing with us again on the Disciples' Prayer in his Disciples' Prayer devotionals. Just as an apple tree bears apples as its natural fruit, so obedience is or should be the natural fruit of our salvation because it reflects our redeemed heart. You see, the New Testament assumes that belief in Jesus and obedience to God are intertwined. John chapter 3 verse 36 says in the Amplified ASV, the New American Standard, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. And the word used for obey is apitheo, which means to disbelieve willfully and perversely. In other words, you know what God's will is, but you deliberately and perversely choose not to obey it. To not believe, to be disobedient, to obey not unbelieving. You see, it used to puzzle me that in the midst of the crucifixion, all the gore and the, the, the crucifixion, suddenly there's this line that God drops in. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from one top in one piece. And then it carries on with the, like if you're writing the story, you wouldn't just suddenly think, now his tunic was without seam, woven from one piece. You see, all our clothes are made with seams. So give my shirt a good pull, hard enough pull. You can have the sleeve. Hard enough, you can pull the sleeve. Do you understand? Like a piece of me. But you see, you can't have a piece of Jesus. You either have him for who he is. You can't have a slice of him. My favorite author is Aidan Wilson Tozer. He wrote this. I think 
The following is a fair statement of what I was taught in my early Christian experience. You are saved by accepting Christ as our Savior. We are sanctified by accepting Christ as our Lord. We may do the first without doing the second. What a tragedy that in our day, we often hear the gospel appeal made this way. Come to Jesus. You don't have to obey anyone. You don't have to give up anything. Just come to him and believe in him as Savior. Well, I was there for a long time. The fact that we hear this everywhere, he says, does not make it right. To urge men and women to believe in a divided Christ is bad teaching, for no one can receive a half or a third or a quarter of the divine person of Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, We are not saved by obedience, for obedience is the result of salvation. We are saved by faith because faith leads us to obey. In submitting ourselves to God's absolute rule and reign, in Christ, we find freedom, real freedom. As Robin Mark's song declared, it's only in your will that I am free. It's only in your will that I am free. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. It's only in your will that I am free. You see, if God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. He's the boss. See, the idea is simple. We can say yes, Lord, or no, but we can't say both. We can't say no, Lord. It's a contradiction. We are no longer the people who in the parable of Jesus say, we don't want this man to be our king. Disciple is mentioned 258 times in the New Testament. Believer is mentioned four times. And Jesus' last words to the church, to us, was go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I taught you obedience. Go and teach them. So it's important to grasp that this truth about Christ's rule in your life with your heart, the innermost you, so that his commands spiritually shape and empower you rather than just giving a mental assent. Otherwise, submission to Christ's rule in your life will be a must-do duty rather than what it really is, a life-giving joy. So with this understanding, listen to Jesus with the ears of your heart. What is he saying? What is he establishing? I think you'll see that he's looking for the obedient heart. Matthew 7, 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Coming back under that, that rule with an obedient heart. Luke 6, 46, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You see, we can, we can weary God with our words. I surrender all. No, you don't. <laughs> Crown him Lord of all. We often think if we sing the words passionately enough, it just keeps God happy. But he looks in the heart. Uh, I love the bit where Jesus is up speaking and the crowd say, your mother and brothers have come in the back. And if I was to hit the pause button and say, what do you think happens next? They say, well, Jesus would have brought them up to the front and said, this is my mother. This is my brothers. Give them all a bit of applause. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. It's that obedient heart. The Apostle John, John the Beloved, ensured that the flock understood this very foundational truth by using what was for him very, very strong language. First John 2, 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The writer of Hebrews assumed that obedience went hand in hand with salvation. Hebrews 5, 9, speaking of Jesus, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Paul emphasized the absolute lordship of Jesus, 
Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and beneath the earth. No escape from that. You see, the wind and the waves obeyed him. The fish obeyed him. The demons obeyed him. If we don't, what does that make us? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, if the professed convert distinctly and deliberately declares that he knows the Lord's will, but does not mean to attend to it, you are not to pamper his presumption. It is your duty to assure him that he is not saved. My willing submission to Jesus as my Lord was the event that changed my life forever and began my journey. For many years prior to that date, I had known what God's word said. I was raised in a Christian home, went to Sunday school, went to church, everything. But it never entered my thinking I was actually meant to do it. I just thought you learned memory verses. How many times over the years must I have prayed, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who, for, who sin against us without it ever dawning me that I was actually meant to do it. It could be likened to setting a hearty meal in front of a starving man and said, do you believe that this can make you strong and healthy? Yes, I do. Brilliant. And a month later, you come back and he's lying dead with his face in the untouched meal. You see, believing without doing is not believing. The apostle James wrote to the church, it's us, James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Obedience, childlike obedience, means that I now sincerely desire to do his will in the workplace, in the home, in my social life in church. Sadly, never done perfectly, but always with a heart set to loving obedience and to repentance when I get it wrong. On my computer at work before I entered full-time ministry, where only I could see it was a little note saying, Ken, what would Jesus do? And in the many daily decisions that I had to make, I could with one glance without needing chapter and verse know what was right and what was wrong. And then I had a choice either to do what was right and submit or sometimes choose the easier path, but that would be rebelling. As a husband, I have to ask myself, am I genuinely trying to treat my wife the way Jesus treats us, the church, his bride? As a father, I have to ask myself, am I reflecting the heart of God the Father to my children? And now my grandchildren, as a church member, am I in godly submission? As a child of God, a son of God, am I influenced by the world and its godless ways? Or does, is it the word of God that influences me? You see, John the Beloved would not, could not separate love for Jesus and obedience. Second John 1, 6, he said, and this is love, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Because, of course, neither could Jesus separate them. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. So here's the big idea. Religion tries to change you from the outside, while Jesus changes you from the inside. And to do this, he must be Lord. He doesn't force that position on you. He stands and knocks and says, follow me. Amen. Midlands 183. Good morning to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This is Pastor Dom, back with you again through Nigel's kind invitation to join you today on Heartlands, Midlands 103. These are the Disciples' Prayer Devotionals, and this is number five, entitled Our Submission. Look around our world. What do we see? Is there order and peace? Is it not more often chaos and pain? Why? Because of the fall. Because two humans, Adam and Eve, said, My will rather than God's will be done. And we've been feeling the effects of those choices ever since. 
Though once God had declared that his creation was very good in Genesis 1, now we see it ravaged by sin and disease right up to the present day. And yet humans still want to be in control and at the center of what they see as their world. Have we not turned this world upside down by our sin and selfishness? But will it always be this way? What is our great Christian hope? Is it not that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return one day soon from heaven and restore things right side up? But we too can also participate in seeing things put right side up again as we personally influence the world and the relationships around us by revealing to them the selflessness, the compassion, and the acts of our submission to a loving Father, a forgiving God, and a sovereign majesty who works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. As G.A. Morrison once said, we are saved by hope from the tragedy of doing nothing in a world where there is everything to do. So let's read the disciples' prayer again. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the third petition that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. But when will this happen? When God's people consistently pray and end their prayers with God's will be done in God's way at God's timing, and for God's glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And when we, as God's people, freely and wholeheartedly give him our submission. Here's our first point. Our submission to God's direction. Your will be done on earth. There's a priority declared. Why should we submit to God's direction? Because God alone is sovereign and able to do all that he has in mind to do. As Isaiah 46 verse 10 declares, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. Remember who we are. We are so limited in our perception, planning, and power. And we must also admit the sin that is still living in us since the fall, as Paul says in Romans 7, verse 20. Even our very best efforts for the Lord are tainted by that daily battle that goes on within us. We must daily learn to die to self and react to the life of Jesus living in us, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's also a purpose realized. Jesus set out the pattern and example for us in the garden. He prayed three times, Your will be done, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 to 44. Should we not also learn to submit to God's will? Some individuals see this as a merely passive acceptance by Jesus rather than an actively embracing his Father's will. But remember Luke 22, verse 44, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's Jesus actively embracing his Father's will. There's also a people used. These are brothers and sisters who are actively engaging with the Father's will for their lives, for they know that their purpose in life is to surrender, submit, and serve God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians 2 verse 13. God's will is seen through their actively engaging love, obedience, and witness. Why would we ever think our Father has another way, an easier way, a not-so-painful way to escape this distressing trial we are now facing? Didn't James say we were to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds? James 1 verse 2. Secondly, our submission to our position on earth as it is in heaven. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. So where are we? We're here upon this upside-down earth. We're in the midst of not only our own, but other people's selfish desires and sin. We're in the midst of this no longer good creation that is now corrupted in flaws with viruses and diseases because of bad human choices and practices. We're in the midst of a world that is out of control and driven by short-term economic goals that can never bring about long-term solutions that are needed and we think we should be in charge? We need help. And that's the church. Where we spur, meet, and encourage each other. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We have hope. Jesus Christ is our great hope, but we also learn to follow the example of others, such as Paul, who have fought and finished and kept the faith. Let me read these words to you. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
and we will be brought home into a new heaven and a new earth and into a new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. It is only our Father and sovereign majesty in heaven who can bring about these eternal changes. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation 21 verses 5 to 7. If ever there was a prayer and a time for disciples to pray it, is it not this prayer and is this not the time? And finally, as in our previous devotions, I leave you with a quote and a question. But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. So said the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 verse 24. And this is taken from the Living Bible. Here's my question. What is the work assigned to us by the Lord Jesus? And are we actively embracing it? May you be truly blessed today, listeners, as you remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Amen. Amen. Midlands 103.